All right. Okay. You ready? Yes, go. He's off the racing line, and he's on the marbles. This isn't good. Oh, that is not good. Oh, no! On the marbles, on, on the marbles, on the marbles, on, on the marbles, on the marbles, on, on the marbles, on the marbles, on, on the marbles. This is a dedicated Formula One podcast brought to you by the most respected, keenest, and knowledgeable minds in motorsport racing. The mere fact you're listening to this suggests great sagacity on your part. You're in the right place at the right time. But of course, you already knew that. It must be a short poem because you have very short sleeves. I can see all of your biceps. Hello, hello. Welcome to On The Marbles. I'm your host, Steve Jones, and I would like to begin by offering an apology to end all apologies. Imagine, if you will, the words, I'm sorry, scrawled in my own blood in giant letters on the side of the QE2. (laughs) Actually, not big enough. No, not big enough. Imagine I've scorched the words, I'm sorry, onto the surface of the moon with a massive laser beam and the sentiment is visible from Earth. And then you might be close to understanding how gosh darned apologetic we are for the gaps in your On The Marbles seasonal timetable. Truth is, I had to quarantine in Austria and was not able to perform the podcast. I contacted quite a lot of my presenter friends to step in and take the reins for a couple of sodes. Um, Martin Roberts from Homes Under the Hammer, uh, Moira Stewart, um, Timmy Mallett, Alan Titchmarsh, Judy Finnegan, uh, Lee Hurst. Um, Basically, long story short, they all said a mixture of the same thing. Uh, What's on the marbles? How did you get my private number? Don't call you again. Go F yourself. Stuff like that. You know, presenter bants. <laughs> <laughs> so again, sorry, so sorry for the gaping hole, but we aim to make it up to you big time. We have a very exciting podcast ahead of us today because it's the British Grand Prix special. Ew! So... Let's kick off the show with a good old-fashioned quiz about Silverstone. So much fun. Who doesn't love a quiz? Let's introduce our contestants. First up, Mr. David Coulthard, co-founder of W Series and XF1 driver and current commentator. David, welcome. Hello. And your specialist subject is? The study of 4D energy momentum vectors and density dynamics. Excellent. Excellent. Great to have you with us. And next, Mr. Mark Webber, ex-F1 driver, pundit, and commentator. Welcome, Mark. Great to be here, mate. And your specialist subject is? Early Napoleonic Wars of the 19th century. Capital. Capital. Yep. Let's begin the quiz. Please buzz in by shouting your name. Question one. Who won the 1993 British Grand Prix? Mark. DC. Mark. Came in first, Mark. Alain Prost. Correct. Congratulations, Mark. Ah, You win the quiz. I knew that. Hang on. What do you, hold on, hold on. What do you mean? You win the, the quiz. You've only asked one question. Yeah, well, that's it. How long did you think it was going to go on for? Oh, yeah, how does that work? Where's my question? Well, at least best the three. No, I've just invented a new format, the one-question quiz. It's shocking. 
I, that, I thought we all enjoyed that. Is that Welsh, mate? I thought everyone was a winner. Apart from well, DC, apart from of course. Me. Yeah, you, 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 you literally lost. But <laughs> all right, okay. Well, I'm sensing a bit of a backlash here, and I know our listeners well. And now you got me thinking. Yeah, they, they, they probably did not enjoy that. So that was a shocking quiz. Okay, man. no, I'm going to pivot. Shocking quiz. I'm going to pivot um, with immense nervousness. I'm going to say the following: I do have a poem about the British Grand Prix up my sleeve, if you were so inclined to make up for the, the one question quiz. It must be a short poem because you have very short sleeves. I can see all of your biceps. <laughs> <laughs> is it about Alan Prost? It's not about Alan it's Prost. It's not that short, yeah. yeah. It is, um, well listen, you've heard my poems before. This one is a little raw, if I'm honest. It comes from a very personal space, from a personal <laughs> experience. <laughs> Go easy now, no, it's deeply private is what I'm saying. Emirates. And I'm a little trepidatious considering how my other poems have been received. You know, some people hate them with a passion. Other people, and personally, I think this is worse, more offensive. Uh, they think I'm trying to be funny, like I'm doing some kind of joke poem. This and that's, is, that's heartbreaking to me. This is real. This is real. So please respect the honesty, respect the art, okay? All right, this one's called Silver Bone. When I make love to my girl, and I hear her... <laughs> oh, it's good if Stavloid can't pull the old first sentence off, big boy. He knows what's coming. He oh, wrote it. Sip of water, yeah. Silver yeah. bone. <clears throat> Come on, Steve. When I make love to my girl and I hear her moan, guess what? I'm thinking about Silverstone. Yeah, she's super hot, but she ain't got nothing on Woodcott. Hanger straight, Hamilton straight, you make my nips lactate. When I think of maggots, I need extra batteries for all my gadgets. What's up, Beckett's? Come to daddy and fill my exits. Got a case of the flops? I just check out that cops. Problem is, my girl was thinking about Silverstone too. Now she's left me and I'm feeling blue. She mocks me with her moxie. She says, Chapel, that's some fine tackle. She says, Abby, them curves ain't too shabby. She says, I dig Brooklyn's hands on my glands. <laughs> it's a sad tale. I'm a girl ditched me for Vale. But between you and me, when I make love to myself and I'm all alone, guess what? I'm still thinking about Silverstone. Thank you. Thanks so much for listening. Thank you very much. <laughs> that was good. I'll give you that. That was absolutely brilliant. You enjoy that? Oh, man, that's awesome. Silver bone. Did you make up for the, for the one question quiz? Yeah. 100%. Well, I think that was a good recovery, mate. But do you think yeah. our listeners will enjoy it? Because remember after Conti Marlowe, someone said they hope I end up chained to a radiator in a serial killer's basement. <laughs> yeah. I mean, Conti I'm Marlo, sorry about that. I've apologised. Yeah, Conti Marlowe was... Co Conti Marlowe. Conti Marlowe. We'll, we'll beep that. Emilio, <laughs> Emilia Romagna. She's, that, she, that was still my favourite. You still like that yeah, one? Yeah, that, that definitely. That's a child Emilio Magma or Mama. Yeah. Well, I'm glad that was a good reaction. We'll find out how the, uh, the, the, the listeners uh, yeah. enjoyed it two weeks from now. So, let's switch gears. Let's get into some F1. Uh, it's now time for today's podcast sponsor. Here's team principal of Ferrari, Mattia Bonotto. One day, when I was a boy growing up in Lucerne, 
I said to my mom, Mom, I want to be team principal at Ferrari. And she said, Mattia, my hairy little Noki, you will, I know this in my heart, but you must have something to fall back on, just in a case, sir. Well, here I am, team principal at Ferrari, and looking at recent results, it is time to launch Mattia Benotto Risotto. That's Mattia Benotto Risotto. Succulent rice, broth, parmigiano, and of course, one whole prancing horse chopped up and thrown in the pan, just like Mama Benotto used to make. And for the bambinos, little pieces of Lego stirred directly into the cream. Mamma mia, it don't get much better. But don't take my word for it. Here's Ferrari driver Carlos Sainz Jr. Hello, Carlos here. And I ate Mattia Benotto risotto for breakfast, for lunch, and for dinner. Not because I am contractually obliged, but because it is yummy and fun. The horse makes me fast on track. And with Lego, I make little racing cars. Hi, caramba. It is good eating. So there you have it. Mattia Benotto Risotto. People say I look like a Disney Pixar chef with my crazy hair and round spectacles. So why not embrace it, huh? <laughs> Warning. Mattia Benotto Risotto absolutely does contain choking hazards and horse meat. Loads of horse meat. Like an insane amount of horse meat. <laughs> and there oh, you have it. What a sponsorship pitch that is. I'm loving this. Yeah. I'm loving this on the morals. Yeah, Come yeah. on. Rice, horse, Lego. What's not to love? Mattia Bonotto there branching out and good for him too. Okey smokey. Time to peel out. We've checked under the wheels for sunbathing cats. Not a puss in sight. I've jammed some patterned scarves representing my favorite football team of choice into the rear windows. So when we drive along, they flap in the breeze and everyone can see the team I support and they will be really impressed. In the glove box, well, the police got in touch and explained to me it is illegal to carry a gun, no matter how small in the car. So I've replaced it with a syringe full of Domestos. Okay, mirror signal maneuver and we're off. The first of our wicked good questions in from our fantastic listeners is the following. James Cryer goes route one here, taking us where we want to go, chaps. Uh, so Red Bull are going to win the 2021 championship. Boom. James throwing a juicy bone into the dog pit. Have at it, chaps. Fine jumping off point. Uh, I'm with him. Uh, I, I must say, as the season started, I was concerned if someone could take the fight, to be honest, to, to Lewis and Merck. But... Uh, Credit where it's due to this point. Red Bull have been on absolute fire, particularly Max Verstappen. Perez is finally his feet now. Re- reliability is still there, which is still a little bit of my concern deep into the season. But I tell you what, if they get the next two on the bounce here in Silverstone and Budapest, the reason I mentioned Budapest is because Hamilton is magic there. He can win. I mean, he's won Grand Prix with three tyres before, but he can, he, can, he can do that at Budapest as well from, from probably halfway through the freaking Grand Prix. So he's magical there. He's won there a lot in subpar machinery. So I think even Hamilton, if he gets rolled at Silverstone, if he gets rolled fair and square in Budapest, even he will start to think this is getting a little bit out of hand if Verstappen wins, you know, whatever it is, five or six on the bounce. So, yep, it's getting serious, uh, and Merck have got a headache. Yeah, it, it is getting serious, DC, and uh, Aziz, our next chap up, absolutely agrees because 
he's pointed out basically that in Austria, Verstappen was, was nowhere to be seen. You know, he was so far ahead. How much of a declaration of intent is it when you can take pole, win the race, get fastest lap and every lap? It was an incredible performance, there's no doubt. And I think that having spoken to Lewis earlier in the paddock, the penny has well and truly dropped. They're on the back foot and they need to find performance. If they haven't brought performance, then I don't see what has changed just because it's Silverstone and there'll be a home crowd and a bunch of Union Jacks and a fast flowing racetrack. There just isn't enough that he can overcome as a driver if he doesn't, well, clearly the car's got downforce and mechanical grip, but it seems to me that it's quite draggy in how it delivers its lap time. And there's a lot of straights here. So they could well be well and truly on the back foot. Uh, Gino Wise follows up with Mark DC. You know Christian Horner personally. Just how much is he loving spanking the Mercs at the moment? Look, Gino, I think that you know Christian and Red Bull have been on a journey here. Uh, they've been on, you could say, they've been on the back foot for a long period of time too. They they were, were getting belted uh, a few years ago consistently. So you know you've got to be careful not to get too excited about your performance and not rest on your laurels very very early. Yes, they've had some good success in the past. Uh, for all the banter and sort of bit of you know showmanship that they have in the press, Christian, yes, he'll be enjoying it, but he is still. This sport can flip on its head. You can have two DNFs for no fault of Red Bull's, you know, um, you know, sort of doing, um, and the points are back open again. So I think Horner will be inside, of course, super excited, but still there'll be some nerves because there's a lot of points still on the table, and a lot of things out of their control. So he'd be loving it but guarded. Yeah, he's been working towards this for a long time now, DC, hasn't it? So to arrive at that point, as Mark just said, in, in his mind, he must be doing cartwheels. Yeah, there, there's no question that it's, it's a big year and a big championship for Red Bull to be leading at this point. Uh, there's been some major decisions taken. Uh, Mr. Marischitz, the owner of Red Bull, you know, undertaking to take, you know, take over effectively the Honda program to the only way that they can keep a competitive engine is they've had to go and do their own powertrain side of things, which they'd always said that they, they wouldn't do. And that has been prompted and supported by the fact that they're having on-track success. If they were still on the back foot, then I'd be a little bit nervous for the Rebels' future mm -hmm. in, in Formula One. But That's an interesting take. It's like, yeah, do you, basically David Coulthard is saying, yeah, about time. Yeah, absolutely, about time. But they look at the relationships they've had prior to where they are now. You know, the Renault relationship was flawed all the way. And even when they were winning titles, as you know, and Mark was winning races, it was never a happy camp. You know, for whatever reason, it just never worked. And, and the Honda situation, when they signed, that was a brave call because they were coming off the back of not really being that competitive in the back of the McLaren. So things have changed quickly, as they can in Formula One. And, you know, this is a huge championship. Interesting one next from Keenan Goldsmith. Hi, Mark. <laughs> Do you ever feel sad that your name doesn't work when abbreviated like DC's does? MW just doesn't feel right. That's a great question. How do you feel about that, Mark? Open yourself up to us. Um, yeah, DC's does, does, I mean, SJ, you've got, I mean, we know that's been a topic this week, mate. Yeah. SJ or Steve. Um, it's, I mean, it's not DC, man. That is, that's perfect there, DC. DC. That's, that's perfect. Just that's as good. That's yeah. the pinnacle. I've had M-Dub. M, oh, okay, M-Dub. Yeah, M -dub. yeah. M-Dub. Um, 
But yeah, it's pretty pathetic. It is pretty <laughs> pathetic. Um, my middle name's Alan, so what could we do with the A? Um, the mall. Yeah. Oh yeah. The mall. Yeah, mall. Like a big, a big gaping yeah. hole. Yeah. The mall. <laughs> I think. Yeah. I think. I think M Dub. M Dub's all I could. All I could get. I used to get that in Porsche a little bit um, because maybe they couldn't do the W bit, but uh, M Dub. So. Or V Dub. So it's not a V-dub, complete M-dub. loss, is what you're saying to I'm Keenan. trying to recover it, but I must say, look, I've never had that. You know, thrown at me before, but you know, I'll, I'll, I'll think about it tonight. When I mark, it's the on the marbles listenership here. Yeah, these people don't think like normal people. They're they sharp. think outside the box. Yeah. That's why I love that question. Keenan yeah. totally gets it. Yeah. So the answer to it is, you, you basically you're clutching at straws with the M Dub. You're pretty gutted about it. Well, what the f- am I going to do about it? <laughs> Change your name. Okay. To Mark yeah. Weber, <laughs> MP, that's pretty cool. Yeah, but at least Weber, you can pronounce pretty much in any any language. The problem I have, and I think why DC became more familiar, is Colfard, as I say it, mm. is quite challenging for foreigners. You know, even yeah. even our, you know, as a Scotsman, my English friends may well say Coltard or Coulthard or you let it go though. I do because at the end of the day it's down to individual, you know, how they get the tongue round the words. You know, we all work our tongues in different ways. So mm. you've 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 got to respect that. Can you stop form. doing that with your tongue at me right now, DC? Oh God almighty. Next question. <coughs> yeah, I hope Steve. I answered that, Keenan. Thanks, man. It's a great question. Barry Banks has been on. Barry, you Baza. What's Barry, Baza got for us? Get, get ready for two former F1 drivers to call you very naive. Even the presenter thinks you are asking this, Barry. Barry Banks has been on. Couldn't have Alonso just let George have that one point in Austria? What a meanie. Yeah, that's exactly how Fernando ticks. Well, I think he could have done. He was fighting for that position for the last half an hour of the Grand Prix. He was sweating like hell, like a... Spanish matador, he wanted that, you know, and he might have in his contract a lazy 50 or 100 grand for a world championship point, even <laughs> though he's got... lazy 50 or 100 <laughs> grand, e- e- Even though, um, you know, and look, it was a first world championship point that George Russell did miss there, but you've got to bloody earn them, even though they hand mm-hmm. him out a lot easier now. Like when, back when men were men, we it was top six back then, mate. It was top yeah. six to get points. Top 10 now, it's freaking cornflakes packets, isn't it? So, um, they get, you know, so George still hasn't got that point. He deserves one, but, you know, Imola, he dropped it. It's the last year in the wet. Yep. Fernando, he is he's a natural-born predator, isn't he? He, he charges fairness, he himself. Did, he did when commiserate he, George in Park Fermi straight after. I don't know if you saw that. He went up to him and gave him a hug, yeah, and yeah, sorry about he that. He would have no, really meant that, too. Yeah, exactly. That's yeah. easy to do. It's a little bit like <laughs> Lewis complimenting Lando for being a really good driver. Yeah, that is until he consistently starts beating him. You won't hear the compliments after that. Interesting. Okay. Well, there you go, Barry. Uh, Green Tree Pete has a thing or two to say. Uh, you lot have consistently poo-pooed the chances of personnel change at Mercedes. After Bottas's Austrian races, will Toto finally give George a seat at the big table at Silverstone? Where poo-poo changes? I have asked you quite a lot over the last few races. Yeah. Will Bottas be... Oh, on his ass soon, and you, you guys have kind of said no. I, I, I know not where Green Tree Pete is coming from. No, you know, you not during to... the year. End of the year. Yeah, it definitely, it will be announced at some point, but either before or after the end of the year. Um, I don't doubt George will be in the car next year. Do you call it P forty five? P forty five. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think Green Tree Pete is uh, suggesting you know, it's going to happen pretty soon. I don't nah. think it's going to happen at Silverstone, <clears> but you reckon there's no chance in hell it's going to happen after the summer break. 
Or do you ring? Uh, no, I think I think I'm with DC. I think they'll see the season out um, and do the transition. Look, George Russell could still snag a few points of Williams, and that's big bucks as well. I don't know who mm. they're going to put in. Whether they did a straight swap. You imagine Bottas mid-season going back there. I mean, no. talk about being whipped. He wouldn't do that, would he? No. Well, if you've got a Kalashnikov to your head, you might. But Also, you can only be a Grand Prix driver if you have a Grand Prix car to drive. So Valtteri has to make a decision, doesn't he, whether if and when he leaves Mercedes, does he still want to be a Grand Prix driver? And some people will rise to the challenge that Williams would, um, would, would offer him, and others would go, no, nah, I'm not driving that. So we'll wait and see. That's, I mean, that's where he came from, to go to Mercedes. I mean, hmm. romantic. To go, to, go, to go back there. Yeah, you've, you know, you've never gone back with an old girlfriend? Can be fun. <laughs> Next question. Uh, photos from home asks, uh, when you're... Photos from home asks. Yeah, it's a weird one, yeah. Okay. Photos from home asks, okay. when you're placing the team is on the line, there must be a weird tension between the driver and team boss. For example, Toto and Valkyrie's relationship must be strained, to say the least, at the moment. Both you chaps must have some ex experience with that. Yes, when I was at Williams, uh, I felt that I was sort of out, outstaying my welcome there. I thought they had made other decisions uh, to, to replace me. So I, I did get a bit of a vibe early on. And to be fair to Frank and Patrick, uh, Frank Williams and Patrick Head, um, they were reasonably clear that they, they were going to move on. Um, they might have needed some funding for some drivers to come in as well. So I didn't really fit their process anymore or their, the, the driver remit. So that was... For the first time in my life, in, in many ways, yes, um, you need to look for other options. Uh, so, yeah, you've got to man up, work out new solutions, still back yourself, look for the, the, the confidence. I was in the middle of my career then. So I think it depends on what phase of your career this is happening. And clearly, if it's early, then it's obviously it's a disaster. If it's mid-career, you can recover. If it's late-career, which often happens to a lot of us, then you outstay your welcome and, and on you go. So, yeah, it's an awkward maybe couple of months, no more than that. Okay. DC, you want to regale us with the McLaren days? Weird uh, tension with the, uh, the team's principal? I think that you know, I had a, a unusual relationship with Ron Dennis, um, but the honesty that the, the teams have to deliver is just telling you and they no longer want you in the car. You know, that, that's their only... Uh, that's the only requirement, really, in, in terms of... Uh, how does that feel? That's the question, isn't it? How does it feel to be in that relationship, being in a team that doesn't want you? It must be horrible. Not really, no. No, because you, you're, you're confusing emotion with competition. You know, competition is about, and in the case of Formula 1, getting behind the wheel and driving the car and delivering your lap time. Emotion is what is in more loving and cuddly relationships and that is not you know, there's no place for that within sport as, as good as any relationship between a team principal and the driver as much as they seem to love each other that relationship will come to an end and I've said this before I'm not sure if I said it to you Mr Jones but when you sign your, your driver contract you also prepare the divorce papers because as sure as you are signing on for however many years you will eventually no longer be the shining light that is necessary for the team to go forward and then the divorce papers come out and if you can't handle that you're in the wrong industry and fuel well, to fuel to prove them wrong even though you're still outgoing but i always still try to turn into a positive and it's like well try and prove that they're making the wrong decision 
you know, and keep your pecker up that way because you can't dig a hole for yourself. You've got to, you know, back yourself. Uh, it's an individual sport in that sense, as mm. DC's just touched on. You know, you've got a big team, yes, but, you know, the buck stops with you. You've got to keep delivering even when you're on the ropes. So, uh, I'm, again, I'm not sure if I've, I've shared this with you, but when I left McLaren, there was a chap called Martin Whitmarsh, who's, who's a friend. He was uh, sort of second in command, I guess, to, to Ron. And um, they presented me with a bicycle at the event in Germany at the end of the year called Stars and Cars. And he was laughing because of the end joke of, you know, on your bike, DC, as in, you know, leg it. And I didn't find it as funny as they did, clearly, because <laughs> uh, it was the fun being poked at me. And so I thanked him for the bike and said, and Martin, just so you know, I intend taking Adrian Newey and some of your other key engineers with me to my next team. And at that point, I didn't know who my next team was. And he kind of laughed. So fast forward to when Adrian joined Red Bull. Obviously, I went a long way out of my way to Whoa. face up to him and go, uh, they say a woman scorned is something to be avoided, but a Scotsman scorned. That shit lasts Hell a lifetime. Hell no theory like a DC scorned. There you go. Wow. So as Mark just mentioned, you can use it as motivation. Yeah. Wow. Fascinating. Thank you, chaps. Um, Valerie Newley wants to know, is there any truth to the rumor that if the Mercs don't snap up George... Dr. Marco will put him in a Red Bull. Have you heard this? I heard this recently. Very, very, very unlikely. I think I think that is Helmut putting pressure on Perez's management to say, keep your price down. We've got other options. Interesting. It won't happen. You, no. you, you'll stand on the moon before George Russell drives a Red Bull. Well, because of his... Uh, He's a Mercedes driver. Why yeah. would, as long as Mercedes are committed to Formula One, why would they ever give one of their key assets? You know, he's on average three, four times quicker than his teammate at Williams. That is one of the vital ingredients to any top driver, is having the quality speed. Surely the mm -hmm. driver has uh, options as well. I mean, if he turns around at the end of the season and says, there's no way I'm sitting in a Williams for another season, and then Dr. Marco says, yeah, come to Red Bull, he'll go, okay, I'm going to break my contract, go across and join Red Bull. Yeah, but you just can't break a contract. You, you, you can negotiate your way out of an existing contract. Semantics. But why, why would Toto go, okay, George, you know, I'm sorry about that, yeah. We'll just, you know, all that time and effort and money we invested in bringing you to Formula One, we'll just hand it over to our main competition. Yeah, our main opposition, brilliant. Okay. Nope. There you go, Valerie. I did try, but it ain't going to happen. Steve Crane asks, after Bottas's sweary rant in Austria, I was wondering if David and Mark have, on occasion, aimed a barb or two at your engineer. Do they remember any such incident? And if so, what's the done thing? Do you immediately get out of the car and apologize, or do you just never speak of it again? Well, in my case... If I go first, um, when Toro Rosso were a thorn <laughs> in the side of Red Bull, because uh, I, I was just purely focused on trying to make Red Bull the most competitive it could be, and when they decided to buy Minardi, I'm going, God, it's difficult enough to win with one team. How can that be positive for what I'm trying to achieve and what Red Bull are trying to achieve if resource is going to an another team? So fast forward to the Hockenheim race, and I'm... Uh, come out after a pit stop on new tyres behind Vitantonio Liuzzi, who was in the, the Toro Rosso. And I'm on the radio straight away saying, get him out of the way, because we're in different sequences of the race, and it's friendly, and it's, you know, it's sister team. Mm. And the, the radio message comes back that, you, you know, you have to race them, which I get that, I understand racing, but we were not, you know, we were 
at back end of the middle of, of Formula One. So it was fighting over trying to get one point and there was no way the Toro Rosso was going to get a point that day. So I got on the radio going, you're wankers, you're all wankers. And I'd forgotten that Mr. Mattishutz was there and he had a radio set on in the back of the garage. <laughs> so when I got back after the race, Christian's going, ah, slightly awkward, uh, Mr. Mattishutz was uh, listening to you. Mr. Red Bull. Yeah, Mr. Red Bull, your, your rant. And I went, well, anything I said he may disagree with or you would disagree with when we're trying to build this team to go forward? <laughs> Mark, have you got anything that tops that? No, that's pretty awesome. Um, <laughs> Yes, always. You're going to have some needle or tension because you're both looking to achieve the same thing. You, the same thing. You've got a lens in front of you through the helmet. You know what you're trying to partake in is the Grand Prix, low level sort of racing at 200 mile an hour, and the engineers are on the on what we call the Pratt perch. You know, calling the shots and seeing it through their eyes, saying, "Well, this is going to be the best call for the best scenario on this particular lap and strategy and 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 wheel to wheel battle, etc." So. Um, there's always tension, mainly on strategy too, particularly late in my career there was you know, strategy calls, which you know, there was a lot of heat around those, particularly if you tabled something early in the briefing before the race, knowing this is really what I would like to try and do, this is what I want to try and go about it, and, and, it's, and they work against you on that, we're going to try and do this, and then the race, your strategy comes into play, so you can unload on them on that, because that's really frustrating. And, um, but I remember one in Spa, I think it was uh, 11 or 2011 or 2012, but the radio, I, 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 the safety car come out and I was on the radio and it's like, well, you know, are we boxing? Are we not boxing? What are we doing? You know, and they were like, blackout, radio, nothing, nothing on the radio. So I'm like, mm. continued on, most of the field pitted. I, I, I continued on and um, they got down, I got down to the bottom of Rouge and they're like, um, uh, yeah, mate, we've uh, f***ed up big time. Yeah, that was that was horrendous. Um, and it's like, yeah, great. So now I'm at the front of the queue, haven't done a pit stop, and, and I'm just like a torrent for the next lap into them, just like, you know. But obviously it was the radio. You, you know, were so. shouting at them, you oh, idiots. Yeah. What, absolutely, what, what absolutely. Thinking? But, mate, you got to think, like, the question's aimed at, like, engineer, driver, the whole team, to DC's point, the mechanics, everyone is on a journey with you for those two hours. You know, your adrenaline, your emotional investment into getting the best out of that race is mm. is, is is extraordinary and and, and you want to you're there representing the team and when it goes wrong yeah you can of course with that level of uh testosterone you know flowing through the veins you can you can come out with some pretty curly stuff you know so a lot of the time over team radio you hear the drivers like abusing saying terrible things about mm. the, the other drivers their, their competitors is it a given thing out there that it's fine. No, you know, you're not going to get angry after. What did you call me? Because it seems to me that every time, you know, we, you know, tattle tales. You know, did you hear he called you this? They're like, ah, you know, it's racing. That's changed, mate, hasn't it? Really, I think like in in our day, we we we, we rarely. It's a bit like everyone's a detective mm. now on the track. You know, well, oh, he just pushed me off. He just did that. Um, so I think that's definitely. You know, don't get me wrong. I've had some you know moments where I haven't clearly been happy on circuit, but I think this sort of nudging the race officials or race direction to then go through team management to say we need to get that investigated is is something which i'm not a big fan of it's equivalent mm. of like mini diving in football right trying things on where the, the driver can you know try and get someone else a, give someone else a penalty so no i don't think there was a huge amount of that going on um you can complain about someone but it wasn't through race direction mm. so um and back in our i mean you know especially junior categories in early formula one it was mainly dealt with between the two drivers in the paddock mm. not even there was no there was no penalty system 
there was no penalties really back then, to, to be honest. Well, every man for himself. Yeah, I think so. I think that it has become, yeah, calling out on the radio to say, oh, he did this, he did that, because they know that the race director's listening and a little bit like, um, you know, trying to lobby the referee, which I'm always amazed that once the referee's made a decision, how the players get up in his face and, and, and give it, you know, you're wrong, why did you make that decision? It, that, that just seems bizarre. Can I be like this? Yellow card, yellow card, yellow card, yellow card. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Come, come at me, I can do this all day. Yellow yeah. card, red card, red card. Just yeah, get out of my face. I totally agree with you. Uh, it's sports, Nelson Mandela said, has the power to change the world. Who did he play for again? Nelson Mandela played for South Africa, I believe. Yeah. Um, anyway, he, um, he, he had a, a, a clear and great vision for, for the power of sport to bring people together, countries together. And uh, I think that sport has that duty of care still today. And when I see players tactically falling over, pretending they've been really hacked mm. brutally, is not a great education for our kids. Yeah. And I think it's the same whether it's, uh, you know, Formula One, that doesn't happen as much, but there's certainly elements of, oh, he did this. Yeah. Um, I think we just need to drop that and remember what sport is. You know, sport is a set of rules and there should be honour and in success or failure in terms of how you went about your sport. I agree. No one likes a snitch. Um, on the subject of mouthing off at engineers, um, you guys know how cars work, yes? You know how they work. Yeah. The engines Basic and the wheels. Basic understanding, mate. Yeah. Yeah. Basic understanding. We're not engineers. Yeah. I was thinking it must be lovely, you know, when you go to your local mechanic and you know he's not ripping you off. Because I, I hate that. I don't... I don't I don't know enough about cars, so when I hear, yeah, yeah, you know, we found a nest of gremlins living in the carburetor, so we're gonna need a new gearbox and, and brake pads. I sense I'm being ripped off, but I don't really know. You guys know your onions, so you don't get ripped off. I've never kept a car long enough to need it to be serviced. Oh, la-dee-da. Must be nice. What a life. Yeah. My car's 16 years old. It's well, at least too. it's legal now, you car pervert. <laughs> How did you get a double entendre like that? That's, that's unbelievable. No, what I'm saying and is, Steve, DC, you buy me a new car, DC. Get me a new one. With pleasure. Well, just tell me what you want. I think they know that, yeah, you're right, mate. They can't try it on. You're right. You know, Labour, for example, like not a lot of people know, that, but a clutch might be quite tricky to get to. And they might, you know put the labour around that. But if they, for example, just change a front right brake disc and they charge clutch labour hours, and you know he's taking the piss. So yeah. got a good feel for... And also, I mean, I've made margins on parts. I've got really no idea what a part costs. You know, David was very, very kind. We had a, we had some filming earlier in the week and, and there was a little chip on one of the windscreens that we're involved in. And I didn't even really know how much a windscreen costs on a, on a, on a high-level sports car at the moment, but um, I found out and I was surprised. So how much? I only had, well, a couple of grand. Really? Yeah. I, mean, I got the, the, the windscreen of my Range Rover replaced recently and it was like 600 quid. Yeah. And that windscreen's as big as this room. Yeah, but that's but like... It's also as flat. That's right, it's flat. It's not concave uh, and aerodynamic and have beautiful, you know, heat tolerance and rain uh, demisting sort of, and, and, and demisting internal for, for, for um, what do you call it, dogging? <laughs> Go on. Yeah, so it's a special bit of glass. Wow. All right. I, yeah. Will you boys come with me the next time I take my car to get us MOT with these lovely let's Bulgarian do let's film gentlemen it. down the road? Let's film it. Well, mate, they've got to know who we are. That's the bloody. That's, you know, if they don't know who we are, I don't know how big Formula One is in Bulgaria, but 
They got it. That's the whole friggin' key to the secret. Yeah, I but, think they do know who I am. They just don't care. Yeah, but if they don't know who we are, then we're gonna, they're going to treat us like they treat you, which is is, is that why you've got a relationship with Halfords now, so you don't have people <laughs> sort of you know you you get to see as they price things up. You get to know what the costs. And it's what an the education. Are. Yeah, yeah. I get paid and I learn. Yeah, it's a perfect relationship. Yeah. Other car part suppliers are available. Name one. I can't think of any. <laughs> there only is Halfords in my mind. <laughs> quick in quick my fit. Mind. Yeah, quick fit. Different. Dif- different. Same really. but different. Same but different. I but used yeah. to be sponsored by Quick yeah. Fit when I was in Formula Three. Really? Yep. Yeah. I went uh, there. There. Uh, headquarters was in Edinburgh, and I took my Formula 3 car up there. I didn't drive it up by road, <laughs> I took it in a truck. But I was outside, and people would see the car, and... It's pretty awesome. Can't get quicker oh, than a quick fit, fitter. Why did the relationship end? It, well, it's inevitable. They couldn't afford him, They couldn't yeah. afford him. <laughs> you got too big. Yeah, yeah, you got too big. Price of success. Uh, yeah. Could all of these things last for a period of time, don't they? It's like life. Yeah. It's not eternal. And yet it all ends. We all fade to the infinite black. At some point. Yeah. Anyway, question here from Ralph. Uh, he's on a quest for knowledge, chaps. He would like to know uh, Mark and DC's personal opinions on the new sprint race format and what outcomes you think will define it as a success. When is this uh, podcast going out? Because if it's after the sprint race, I'd to, like to, to give two answers. One in the positive, saying I knew it was going to work, and one in the negative, saying it was flawed from the beginning. Well, give us both then, and you know we can leave it in, and this is can judge. I how, was... how good a liar you are. Go on. <laughs> no, I, look, I never wasted any heartbeats on things that I had no influence over when I was a driver. So rules and regulations are decided by other people. You can try and lobby, but that energy is better spent being in the factory, on the simulator, on the test track, working with your engineers. You know, we all only have 24 hours in the day, so it's about how efficient you are with your time. So I would take the same approach in this, which is some adults have decided that they need to shake things up. It helps the race fans who pay their hard-earned money to come to the track for three days. It gives them an extra bit of Formula One. Mm. Um, don't think it does much for, let's say, the, the, the hardcore Formula One Sunday afternoon audience, because they probably aren't watching Fridays and Saturdays anyway. But um, yeah, you know, let's give it a go and see, see how it works. It doesn't work at every track because clearly Monaco, doesn't matter how many sprint qualifying you have, it's not going to shake it up too much. Yeah. Uh, interesting, isn't it? I think that it's disrupted the whole weekend. It's not just one little sprint race. There's a lot of you know, ramifications around this event happening on Saturday night or this qualifying race on Saturday night because they've got one session on Friday, then they're into qualifying. Friday qualifying for yeah. the Saturday sprint race, which is unique. So they've got very little time to get their eye in. Um, so that'll be interesting. Um, and then how aggressive they're going to be, you know, because effectively it's a point, it's a pointless race, nearly. There's really no points on the table. These type of points are not really going to influence end results in the championship standings, but it's really a demonstration of entertainment on Saturday night. But if you have any hiccups on Saturday, you are then really affecting your grid position for, for the Sunday race. So it's a little bit tricky to understand for people just trying to you know parachute in and, and understand exactly what the agenda is here. Yes, it could be more entertaining. There's going to be more action on track because there has to be because they're racing each other. Uh, I think they're going to take it pretty easy on each other, to be honest, in the sprint race. Um, and if the sprint race is really, really boring, will the people line up again and watch the Sunday main race? Hmm. So that's going to be interesting to see. Um, 
But also I think that, you know, all elite top flight sports, whether it's golf, whether it's tennis, whether it's cricket, whether it's anything that's worth its substance, a 90-minute football match, for example. Cuddling. Is not, yeah, cuddling. You know, anything that's... You're measured by your consistency over a long period of time. And a Grand Prix is two hours for, or, or an hour and, you know, a bit over 100 minutes or whatever, an hour and a half. And that's, as it turns out, quite tricky for us concentration-wise, focus-wise, if it's in Malaysia, Singapore, you know, Suzuka, Monaco, there's some tracks where that's a that's a, a decent stint mentally. Same mm. with cricket, same with, you know, five... The Grand Slams, sorry, yeah, the Grand Slams in tennis are five sets. They're not three sets. They're five sets for a reason. And that's when the Djokovic's and the Nadal's and the Roger Federer's back in the day cleaned up. You can get them in three, maybe, not in five, never. And that's where the Hamiltons, Verstappens and the best in the business are phenomenal over a longer period of time. The drivers that have less talent will be less exposed in a shorter Grand Prix. Okay. Brilliant answer. Yeah. Spot on. That's exactly what I was going to say. <laughs> uh, Octo- no, Octavia has a query. What is going to happen to Haas? They are, and she's capitalized the following word, unbelievably bad. <laughs> Let me ask the question again. What's going to happen to Haas? They are, and she capitalized the following word, unbelievably bad yeah they've dined out on an old Ferrari for a long period of time now they effectively turn up with a car that's you know it's 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 nearly three years old that car now so there's been very little R&D they're focusing a lot on I assume there, there's going to be some sharing again with Ferrari or some type of deal where they're going to have a car that rolls out of that truck hopefully in whether it's Melbourne or Bahrain wherever the first race is next year um, a damn sight closer to the front of the grid than they are now. They need a shake-up in the regulations, and that's what they're waiting for. They need a change because it's a waste of time in them investing in this current regulation because it would be just literally throwing tens of millions on, on the fire. They need to regroup, focus on next year's regs because it's six months around the corner, which in Formula 1 turn is 10 minutes away. So this year is a complete write-off. Yep. But I, I still wonder, you know, DC... How in 2021 do management, engineers, uh, catering staff, you know, how do they drag their asses out of bed uh, on a race weekend, knowing it ain't going to be pretty? It's like you working with us, mate, isn't it? <laughs> uh, well, just get on with it. Because they, they believe, you know, people in sport are optimists. They, they believe that it will be better. They believe with teamwork and... Um, investment and all of those good things, you will move forward. And there was a point where Red Bull were a bit of a laughing stock of the Formula One paddock, but people stopped laughing after five years when they won their first Grand Prix. Yep. God, and you put it like that, that is a long time, isn't it, to be, you know, plugging away. They stopped laughing after five years. It's It sounds like a long time. Yeah, that commitment is amazing. Many a Formula One world champion got lapped in the first few years of their Grand Prix career, several times earning their stripes in small teams and to the question unbelievably bad teams but you know there's going to be a lot of young mechanics in there their first season f1 as dc said passionate hungry uh yeah they're on their journey they're trying to get to merck and red bull whether you're the team photographer whether you're the mechanic whether you're the tm whatever you know i mean so yeah it, it's all serves a purpose that's interesting i never thought of it like that the say the, the caterers 
in Mercedes hospitality, a bit like, you know, this this the big leagues up here. I'm not sure about cooking pasta, mate, if that's the same. Well, so, no, yeah, but yeah, yeah. there probably is a little bit of snobbery within the paddock. They're like, oh, where, where are you, donut uh, Alfa Romeo? I am sure the food's pretty good there, but uh, this yeah. is Mercedes food. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Of course it will be. But as long as as long as it's a sort of pride feeling, if they're being arrogant in that thought or, or, or delivering that sentence, then that gets found out. Arrogance is is, is not a pretty place to to live, mm. and um, you know people get found out pretty quickly. And you know, look at our most successful driver. Few would say, I'm sure there would be some, but few would say Lewis Hamilton is an arrogant man. He's a very successful man. Mm. I would say he's quite a humble man with all that success. If I was him, I would be arrogant. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I think we all would. Uh, And finally, Lex wades in, short and sweet. Crowds? Did you talk about crowds? This is big. No, this is big. This is big. big. What would you most like to see in 2021? Max Verstappen's first world title or Lewis Hamilton's eighth? Oh God, it's a difficult right one, answer isn't it? there. Yeah. What's the right answer there? Well, um, I definitely would like Lewis to, to be the most successful driver in the history of the sport, and to do that, he needs that extra title. But that said, I think the time is right for Max, and we know him clearly. We know him personally, and you you had a bit of fun with him ahead of yep. the weekend. And <laughs> yeah. he, was a, he was a great yep. sport in that, and that's the way we know him. He is very calm and 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 pleasant out of the race car. I, I'm sure he can get his elbows out uh, when he's in the race car yeah. and we hear his reaction sometimes, but he's a nice, nice man. Unaffected, was, very uh, Very unaffected given his success. And I think it would be wonderful for him and the sport for him to get his first title this year. Hold up yeah. now, the, you've just had your cake and you've eaten it, DC. You said, I'd like to see Lewis get his eighth and I'd like to see Max win it for the first we time. We can. Which, which is it? We, I'm going to push back we on can, this. It's my mate. answer. I can yeah. give any That's answer That's not I an want. answer. It is an answer. People the, the think question that was, which do you want to see? Lewis think, win or Max win? I, I, I gave you my answer. Mark. People think we're very pro Red Bull because obviously we've been involved with the brand. We still are with the brand in many ways. Um, and... That's all true. Extraordinary brand. But I would love to see... Uh, if there was a different driver driving for Red Bull, I think I wouldn't be as excited because it's, I don't know who that would be, but Max Sebastian just... Sebastian Vettel? Well, no, but yeah, maybe Seb, whatever. But, you know, first world chairman is... Multi-21. Yeah, Multi-21. <laughs> don't know. Sir, sir, like, whoever, I don't know, who would it be? But someone, Max, obviously completely freaking deserves this if he if he does get it there wouldn't be anyone that said that Verstappen is not uh, world championship world champion material this early in his career uh, won his first Grand Prix for Red Bull for God's sake under big pressure from Raikkonen in Barcelona it was an extraordinary Grand Prix um, which I'll never forget so yes world champion be awesome to see Max get that first year done but I do want to see same thing same thing the same thing. I want Lewis to beat beat Michael's records. So I do. you both want to see all of the above. Typical drivers. No, very, no, no. Very no. greedy. Normally, you want it all. I, normally I don't sit on the I fence, mate. Um, yeah, I want it all. Yeah. I want it all. <laughs> don't sing anymore. We'll have to pay for that. <laughs> don't sing anymore. We'll have to pay for it. <laughs> so <I'm>, oh, <laughs> <it's> so annoying. <laughs> well, do you know what? I'm going to have the guts to give a proper answer to that. And this is my answer to that question. 
I can't actually give you an answer because I'm the presenter. I have to be impartial. So sorry, you're going to have to skip that. Move oh. on. So, all right. That's all she wrote. DC Mark, what an honor it has been to sit here and listen to you edify and delight in equal measure. Thank you very, very much. Dear listeners, what an immense pleasure it is to live inside your brain for however long this podcast has been. We never forget how much of a privilege it is to swim in the warm sludge of your frontal and temporal lobes. It's like being in a sleeping bag stuffed with chopped liver. It is my favorite place. Until next time, may the downforce be with you. And may all your flags be checkered. Goodbye. Sleeping bag. Oh. <laughs>